podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. And before recording today, we were both playing a little bit of The Division 2 uh, separately. I played the first half hour tutorial, getting up to speed with the controls. Oh, soon you'll be eligible to actually play with me. <laughs> Eligibility, yes. Yeah, I've not played enough to really have an opinion about it yet, but are you one of the types that has gotten kind of fully into the loop of the game? I've gone in and out of it, right? So as it's one of these live games, as I logged in today, it's a free-to-play weekend, and I jumped on for, you know, listeners of this show or listeners of Cane and Rinse and seeing if anybody wanted to to join along. And it <laughs> they've added, a, you know, they've done the live game thing where they've added a ton of stuff, and I came in to a series of 42 dismissible dialogue boxes, <laughs> uh, all telling me about new mechanics that are just going to complicate my time because these games have to sort of, they find their audience and then they're feeding that audience, usually additional complication to keep it exciting. And so I, I it, it took me a little bit to ramp back into it, but um, yeah, it feels good. I, I, if you want to play, let's do it. Yeah, we can, uh, we can definitely hop on a game sometime. I'm uh... I'm I'm from the wrong Washington, so unfortunately, I won't be able to help much with the navigation. But <laughs> um, but it's a it's a pretty setting from what I've seen so far. I've been playing around with the gla- graphics settings, trying to uh, get it to look as nice as possible without melting my GPU. But it's a uh, yeah, very nice looking game. One of the things is that you can't change the graphic settings until you're past the character creation screen, which meant that like the temperature in my computer was like raging out of control while I was trying to like be careful and finish a character that I wanted to spend the next however many hours with. Really? And boy, that is not a time pressure that you want to be under. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I I started the game, was playing a mission, and then found out I needed a driver update. It didn't even really pass through my mind to question whether or not it was totally chill to update my graphics drivers uh, <laughs> at the same time. And so I, I went ahead and I clicked on update my graphics drivers and it did indeed crash the division two to do that. So uh, yeah, I guess I, I got to pay a little bit more attention to my technical requirements. Anyways, that's our thorough in-depth review of the division two. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Join us next week, I suppose for, some more chat about uh, graphics configurations and uh, computer woes. It's going to be, quote, lit. Indeed. Just like my graphics card almost was. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get to the actual video game ideas. Who goes first this week? It's been so long. I think it is me this week. Okay, that sounds right. Why don't you go ahead? <laughs> so this week I'm pitching to you something that's going to start like a Ryan game and we'll see if it stays like one. Um, or a Q game, I should say. <laughs> I'm thinking about a city sim here, H, but uh, the point of uh, the city sim is to kind of uh, build up and scale infrastructure and build out city blocks. But what you can do is you you sort of, as the mayor, are playing more of a crazy, wacky sunset overdrive 
like character and as your city is built up it's giving you more of the world to go and explore and platform around on and kind of go Tony Hawk style all over the place. You can imagine kind of scaling around the city and stuff like Sunset or, or Crackdown or something like that. If raising the macro stuff of taxes and economics and building those things up, maybe you are getting buildings to get taller and then you're able to reach new heights and maybe new collectibles and parts of the environment. But as that sort of city progresses, your world itself expands and progresses. Let's go ahead and start the clock there. I uh, I like this a lot. I think this is really fun. There's, gosh, there's a game that, this is reminding me of, uh, of a game, but I can't quite put my finger on it. But I just remember kind of having the sensation of kind of running around a large open area with kind of, you know, navigational challenges and mm. having to kind of like, I don't know, necessarily put out fires, but like fix small things kind of here and there across this world and kind of keep things in order operationally is that uh so you know obviously we'll have the kind of like micro or macro management elements but are you also kind of like getting you know into the nitty-gritty of keeping you know pipes from bursting and, and kind of fixing things on on that level it's almost like if you could imagine grand theft auto when you switch characters except for when you like the camera first goes and kind of Mm -hmm. uh bangs out by two levels i think you could then just stay at that level and you're kind of in a city skylines like mode now mm. so what what's kind of interesting is you wouldn't be entirely incentivized to create necessarily a healthy functioning city um maybe maybe you could have something where uh, you want to cause a traffic jam at a particular point, so you have some additional platforming you can do in an area, um, or you you want to bring, like, potentially it's a very um, small neighborhood, so there's not a lot of people there, so you're kind of manipulating the design of your city to drive people uh, to a location. So it's almost like you're... You, you might almost have to have no uh, financial repercussions for the design of your city and have it be more of a sandboxy playground. There's a I mean, speaking of the Division 2, which we've been playing, you can obviously kind of pull up uh, that kind of large macro map, which expands as like a hologram around you. That might be a good way of kind of of keeping um, keeping tabs on neighborhoods and uh, parts of the city uh, and orchestrating stuff at the macro level without necessarily leaving the boots on the ground view of your character. Um, but I also like having to balance keeping the city working and uh, operating on a macro level with kind of creating a parkour challenge course for yourself. And especially thinking about the Tony Hawk comparison, creating lines like a, like in the um, park editors that used to be in that game where you could, you know, create your own grind rails and everything. And so maybe every type of building has a certain layout and a certain, you know, number of awnings you can bounce on and rails you can grind yeah. upon. And so you're trying to put buildings next to each other that can best facilitate the flow of you moving from one place to the other quickly, but also trying to keep you know, things in a logical order that will serve the population. I think you could also like really have those. <laughs> There's moments in these city builder games where they're like, hey, now you fully have access to the ability to say, uh, place an entire landmark inside of your city. I love the idea of getting those landmark accesses. And now you have like a skate park, for example, slapping that down as long as uh, 
maybe there is money and you can afford it or whatever you're able to put it in a part of the city and then kind of gain access to a whole new area or a whole new mini game or something. Let's think of Spider-Man is another good example of a game that, uh, that has you kind of running around the city solving problems as you go. Could there be a, an element of, of kind of crime fighting, uh, to, to pull on another example, um, I really like Brutal Legend. Uh, its combat system is interesting because it functions like an RTS, but instead of a completely disconnected, you know, mouse cursor that's controlling the action, you're playing as a character on the battlefield or the most powerful character on the battlefield. And so mm-hmm. while, you know, you can issue commands to your troops and get things done kind of at the macro level, if, you know, you can, you're incentivized to lead the charge yourself and um, get in there and really kind of like do the damage. And so maybe, you know, your character can do all of the jobs required in the city and uh, do them kind of especially well, but, you know, you're not going to be able to manage everything at once. You have to hire on a work workforce to take care of it for you. I think you could also potentially have, if there was, let's set this in a sci-fi or a sort of fantasy sunset overdrive like setting, maybe the reason why you need to build up your city and give it additional infrastructure is to protect it from some invading force. So maybe you're trying to build a city in like a monster apocalypse type of thing. Um, and as you, as you're driving citizens and upgrading your infrastructure, you're giving them defense to, uh, to actually work with and, and, uh, be able to like stave off these creatures. And of course you can zero into your, um, action mayor level and fight them off yourself. <laughs> or I wonder if there's a way to utilize like a big corporation coming into town as an enemy, like an old ladies movie or something like that. And so you have to prove kind of the viability of your, your small town's uh, economic structure. Maybe the people in the town are kind of like especially stupid or don't know what they're doing, aren't very good at their jobs. And so you have to kind of like, you know, plug all the holes in the dam before uh, while you try to teach people and level them up so that they can become more self-sufficient. Mm, there you go. That's kind of interesting. So now you kind of have something where you can eat, you're gaining like potentially the way to gain currency and the way to gain like money is not just like the macro level of raising taxes, but you can actually be on the ground doing these defensive things and uh, and actually making the money yourself. You're very hardworking uh, city manager in this, uh, mm-hmm. in this fiction. And, um, then you kind of get into the mode where you're able to start to have some level of control of both the micro and the macro of the whole thing. So what else? So we've, we've talked about the kind of navigation of this world. Um, I, I also like games in which you have to choose whether to invest your money into the town or into yourself to try to make yourself a better, you know, super mayor in a way. And maybe you can gain the ability to fly. Maybe you can gain more kind of like movement options to keep yourself uh, able to kind of move around and and keep up with the demands and the tasks, especially as the city grows. But you have to balance that with also making sure that the city itself infrastructurally serves its purpose primarily. Let's build on that a little bit. I'm, I'm thinking like... 
when you go into the mechanics of, oh, you can control the water pipes and you can control the, the underlying infrastructure, what kind of benefit, like on the ground benefits would that give me potentially? So like hazard mitigation in a way. So if a sewer or a, um, say a fire hydrant is like exploded and water's going everywhere, then you're losing water from the immediate area. You're slowing down traffic on a certain street. It's basically, you know, the city isn't making money as fast as it could. Maybe people are uh, declining in their satisfaction, moving away from the city. And so you have to get in there and fix it. Or you can have, you know, a team of plumbers in that area that cover a certain area and they can kind of slowly get around to patching all these things up. So you're, you're patching holes and everything, trying to keep things from going wrong. And then maybe kind of as things are operating efficiently, you're kind of gaining an appropriate amount of money based on whatever kind of industry or housing or whatever is in that area over a certain amount of time. It's kind of a constantly rising thing. And I like the idea of potentially being able to use parts of infrastructure or let's say like the concept of beautification, you know, having an area look more desirable and get people to move in there could have potentially defensive benefits for either you or like when you're in a certain zone, you could buff your character in a way and you have to make trade-offs as to like, are you going to drive up desirability or are you going to benefit yourself um, in different areas of the game? So uh, potentially there's like that balance of like, am I trying to make the citizens happy or am I trying to mm-hmm. give benefits to myself? Anyways, we're out of time there. That, that flew by really quickly. That was a fun <laughs> one. What are we going to call this? I don't really have a name. I'm trying to think of like big picture, little picture sort of. Uh, I wonder if, uh, let's see. I don't know if it fits the theme, but I was thinking of may or may not. Oh, okay. Well, I, hmm, <laughs> I like this. The name of the mayor is may not. Is that what <laughs> with, you're suggesting? With like two here? T's or something. <laughs> this is may or may not. It, <laughs> It, it works. Pretty funny name for a character anyways. May or may not. All right. Well, we can uh, we can roll with that. And uh, I, that's one that still has a lot of kind of fertile ground to it, I would say. So I'm, I'm curious if anyone were to write in with additions to that. Um, yeah, we'd be happy to read those on the show sometime. No reason we can't go back and revisit an old idea if somebody specifically requests it. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go over to my idea today. Um, I think it was last time that I pitched a card game, and I'm kind of in the mood for that again. So I'm thinking a card game, and this is a like a digital card game. I'm thinking like split, um, not Splay the Spire, Slay the Spire. Slay the Spire, yeah. Very different games there. Um, <laughs> these, these types of, uh, or um, Steam World Quest, these types of games where it's kind of a standard RPG battle system, but you have a deck of cards. And I'm curious if we can kind of add those elements to a rhythm game. And so I don't know if it's slapping kind of a beat that you have to stay on to kind of increase or decrease the amount of time you have to think about each move or whether we really kind of like strip back all of the RPG elements and just kind of play a, you know, abstract rhythm game in normal DJ Max or rock band fashion with card-based elements in that level of like shuffleable randomization, but I'm just interested in combining these two genres and seeing what we come up with. So, I'm going to start the clock.
What do you think about the angle of potentially introducing the the concept of a sequencer? When I think mm, of like yeah. rhythm and I'm thinking about like electronic uh, music making, I'm, the, the sequencer immediately comes to mind. And when I see a sequencer in my mind, I'm also seeing like a grid of places to put cards. One of my favorite games that is available on current gen platforms, but I just haven't heard anyone talking about for years now is uh, Sound Shapes, which is a platformer. Did you ever play that one? I never played Sound Shapes. Sound Shapes, definitely worth looking into. It's a 2D platformer. It's on PlayStation 4, PS3, and Vita. Um, 2D platformer with a very kind of like minimalist aesthetic. It's uh, kind of heavily leans into like a construction element where you can uh, make levels in kind of a Mario Maker kind of way, but all of the levels are also sequencers. And so each screen is a sequencer with a bar that runs from left to right. And as you place elements like enemies and platforms and stuff into the world, they trigger notes based on whatever instrument they represent in the sequencer. And so you're both constructing levels and constructing songs. So the best levels are kind of a balance of those two things. And there are little pickups that you can grab. And so as you pick them up, then it adds notes to the uh, the song that's playing. And it's a really cool little game. Um, definitely worth looking into for people who might have missed it when it was, you know, it's probably, you know, 10 years old at this point, I would say. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I think there's I think there's room for that kind of thing. Also in Magic the Gathering, those types of games, those types of card games. I know there's also different positions where cards could be played and you can play the same card in different types of positions and they'll have different effects. So maybe there's an element of that as well, where, you know, you can play a card on different, I guess the different points in a sequence are are like time and uh, the pitch of the note that you're playing. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll have to think about that a little bit, but I, I think there are ways that we can work this out. I, there, you could also potentially do something where like cards are, are different types of attacks. And if you have like a turn based RPG going on or something, then, uh, in the spirit of Slay the Spire, I actually ended up playing Slay the Spire since we've last been together. So I, I have a little bit more context on this now. I like the idea of being able to delay down on the sequencer cards in certain positions, and those positions essentially are deriving attack and defense uh, mm-hmm. moments. So now you, uh, before you go in for your next attack, you're trying to optimize the right balance of attack and defense based on your placement, and then you could start to play with, like, am I going to try and take out the boss in this next, like set of eight beats or am i going to uh try and like throw a bunch of defense things where maybe you're getting some indications as to what's going to happen to you yeah yeah and um do you think that in this type of card game putting putting all this on a like timer so to speak where you know you have to react to the beat um kind of like a crypto the necrodancer would negatively impact the experience yeah, I think that would be cool, especially if like in an RPG, if you did a turn-based RPG, this sort of natural cadence of maybe you get, you know, a very large battle, you have like bars of 12 or 24 beats. And so you're listening to, you know, obviously it's going to depend on the BPM of the song, um, but why don't we say 12 across the board? And then depending on the type of enemy you're facing, the BPM moves up and down and therefore you're 
the amount of time you have to choose which cards are going to go where are a little bit more. There's some more pressing uh, desires depending on where you sit in the uh, in the certainty level. <laughs> this also makes me think of Luminous. Did you ever play that one? Oh yeah, love Luminous. Yeah, yeah. Where that one, you know, as a kind of like Tetrisy block puzzle game, is also a sequencer of sorts with a line that moves from left to right. Once the line passes over the blocks that you've dropped, if the colors match with a you know a certain kind of mini minimum number of of other blocks surrounding it, then they will clear those blocks. And so you could, you know, you could create combos that would be, that would, you know, be uh, much longer than you could if they automatically cleared, like in a Dr. Mario or something like that, because it was all dependent upon that, that cursor passing over that area. They wouldn't be deleted until that happened. And so maybe, maybe towards the end of each turn, there are kind of like different attack phases mm. and the cursor passes over each of those phases. And so you do have more time to think about and place your most impactful cards towards the end, but maybe the beginning phase, the first couple attacks you get out of the first couple kind of defensive things you can layer upon your character go by pretty quickly. And so if you're not prepared to act on those, or if you aren't, you know, if you don't just kind of like act on them on a whim, then you might miss out on the opportunity to do anything with them. What I like about that too is if that you have that luminous like bar tracing across the screen in the same way in luminous, if you have a group of things and you don't quite lock them in in time for the bar to pass, sometimes it'll pass over just half of them mm. and kind of mess up your group a little bit. Imagine like if you place your card at the very last second however much of the line like traces over the card is the like percentage effectiveness of the move that you just did so you get like oh, yeah. only half of your attack power when you you play it last minute yeah that's a good move um one of the things recently i actually uh just this last week i've always kind of wanted to learn how to do like how to use like dj tools like turntables and jog wheels and the faders and all the effects knobs and the little buttons and stuff. And so I decided to just buy like a really kind of cheapo, not, you know, still pretty decent, but I decided to buy a turntable set for myself and just kind of like, oh. let's, let's figure out how this works. And it's, um, it's pretty cool. It's complicated, but there's one of the aspects that I really like, which, you know, I, I've done before in just kind of my purely digital editing of music is, um, matching bpms yeah being able to kind of like if things are in tune or aligned with one another then you know obviously you're going to have a much easier job of making the transition sound smooth and if they fall out of tune then you have to you know you have to do something to correct it or um, the, the more kind of like the riskier things that you could do as a dj like scratching and stuff like that are more likely to throw things out of tune unless you like really know what you're doing. And so maybe there's an aspect of, of kind of coordinating BPMs between the player character and the enemies. And if you fall out of beat, they become more powerful. If you're in beat, um, almost like in a uh, Def Jam, uh, what was the icon uh, for the 360 where you're kind of always kind of modulating between an, a track that you own and a track that they own. And if things are, if if your song is playing, then things are going to go in your favor generally during the fight. And so I like kind of incorporating that element into the, the battle as well. What's kind of interesting about that is now you kind of enter into a scenario where 
you're you're kind of uh, I'm I'm thinking like it as a fighting game and it is like a speed thing and maybe there's like when a beat drops or when there's certain musical cues you can get uh moments where you actually decide to like play a card in a moment so there's like bonus outside of your turn mm. type of stuff and now you can kind of you know the the drums just kicked in here if you're able to play a card that syncs up with that in some way you get some kind of bonus yeah i i do like the concept of there being kind of macro events that would happen like a like a beat drop that you know no matter whose turn it takes place within you can both it's it's almost like you know here comes the bomb you either put up your walls or you use the blast your you know to your advantage as much as possible it could be like a game of hot potato even if there's ways of ending your turn early like by going for half a measure instead of a full measure knowing that the beat's going to drop in their in their turn then you know you have the advantage of not losing out on essentially a normal turn you'd, you'd have you'd in mitigating what the drop would do hmm. it's complicated but anyways we we are out of time on that one as well <laughs> it is complicated but i think it's good <laughs> i think yeah i think there's some cool stuff there um i was thinking of the name knights of the turntable <laughs> i mean that's that does it you you're two for two with names today so i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna stand in your way okay all right well let's uh let's go over to our community this one comes from chesney Mooncalf, who says Hey guys, hope you are well. I don't have an idea for a game as such, but I wondered with the release of Dreams whether you would be whether you would consider taking one of your favorite game pitches from the podcast and attempt to make it in Dreams. You could do a section on the podcast charting the progress of the game maybe. Oh. That's a cool idea. I don't know if this will necessarily be our pitch for the day, but uh it's something that I think we could probably think about. We're nearing, I guess I mean it's still a few months away but we're nearing our beginning of our fourth year our our year three yeah point and so maybe that would be a fun thing to to do to actually produce something playable within dreams do you own dreams at this point so i've i've yet to actually get another ps4 after i traded mine in mm. um i know the pros having a good sale of, of, of i think like a hundred or so bucks off right now but uh i'm in that weird zone of now do i just wait for the ps5 and yeah uh, it, it kills me, but, um, uh, plus I gotta get my Xbox first. That's just, I'm, I'm that guy. So the, you know, H who, who, what, uh, timeless character who we, would we have to put in dreams? <laughs> well, I, I feel like the easy answer would be, uh, Wiggle and Joe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's one, but man, I, I would love to have like to have you know listeners contribute to this and almost like a game jam of sorts like go through various pitches that we've done in the past mm -hmm. and just kind of like see what we can make in dreams and then you know we could uh we could play some of them during a live stream or whatever um i, I think that would be a lot of fun it, it's it's a lot to ask of people because you know it's not easy to make games even with such user-friendly tools but uh um it, it could be uh it could be a lot of fun but i'll i'll try to you know get in there and um execute on a couple of our ideas you never know i i would love i would definitely love to play it uh, the i'm looking through some of our history right now to see what um 
what games we've pitched that would uh, that would sync up well. We have uh, let's see here. I think Drill Newell uh, was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I think mm-hmm. uh, Drill Newell is kind of the Steam World dig esque kind of game. And then you had in that same episode uh, Life Serial. What was Life Serial about? Do you remember? Uh, <laughs> not off the top of my head. Was that the one that was about making a podcast, a murder podcast? Oh yeah, I think so. And then I, I do remember, I think this was your pitch, uh, was, uh, Lumberjack's Dynasty Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so kind of, <laughs> that could be fun in dreams. That would be really fun in dreams, having all the trees and being able to chop those down, kind of swinging your ax around, upgrading your, your, well, I guess lumberjack-like abilities. I I would love to see. I think I pitched. I'm looking back on episode 119, pilot wings across the sea. So this, you know, another pilot wings. I think Dreams has all the right physics and makings of being able to do an unofficial pilot wings sequel. I think there's yeah, there's a lot of possibilities here. So let's let's open that up. If anyone in the community wants to try their hand at making a game in dreams. Doesn't matter how polished it is, but yeah, I'd, I will definitely, you know, if, if some of these come through, we'll definitely take some time out to play them. We'll record that. We'll make that an episode of the podcast, a live stream, whatever it is that yeah. makes the most sense. Um, but we can kind of, you know, potentially work towards something like that for year. Well, yeah, for uh, the end of uh, year three. I am but, bold enough and ready hmm. to say that if you make a playwright game in dreams or out of dreams, we will build a custom page on the website where we will feature oh, your yeah. games. <laughs> we'll have a review section we'll have screenshots video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's funny that you say the review section because, um, when I was working at IGN, one of the things I pitched that, uh, they felt was legally questionable was I actually hand redid all of the old game pro uh, ratings faces. Mm-hmm. And so I think we could use the game pro ratings faces in our reviews <laughs> of people's uh, playwright games. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's put that out there and see what happens. That could be a lot of fun. But anyways, let's, let's get an actual pitch today. This one comes from Ashton Herman, who says, hey, guys. I got really excited about where you took my last pitch about a spies versus mercenaries games a la Splinter Cell titled The Spy Who Fragged Me, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. I want to revisit the general concept, but I thought up a new twist. The game is set in a medieval fantasy, high or low, world. Oh, and it's a hero shooter. Each team is made of four players, two stealth and two enforcers. Players choose from a roster of six to eight characters, which is split evenly between stealth and enforcer archetypes. Stealth characters might include someone like Garrett from the Thieves series with uh, an arsenal of special arrows or Ezio from Assassin's Creed with hardcore parkour skills. Enforcers might include Uther from Warcraft, who swings a massive hammer and can heal his allies, or Gandalf the Grey, who uses magic and melee. The rules are similar to the last pitch, Stealth players play in the third person while enforcers are in the first person. Stealth players aren't nearly as lethal as their counterparts, but they have tools at their disposal to hide and sneak through zones undetected. Each team is tasked with several objectives like stealing an artifact from the other team's side of the map, or maybe destroying the structure and escaping undetected. 
Enforcers defend their respective objectives, while stealth players are effectively the offense players. I think the end result would play markedly different from the Splinter Cell games that inspired my pitch, and I think that heroes would add some fun personality and variety to the game, thinking up new types of personalities for heroes would be fun too. All right, let's go ahead and start the clock. So I wonder if, uh, let's say this is going to be a hero shooter, Ashton, for a second, and we want to do some monetization here. I mean, think about that money. I, I love Great the place idea. To start. Right. <laughs> Perfect place to start. Uh, I think what's kind of interesting is in, uh, in Overwatch, you have like the mix of first and third person, depending on sort of the, the mode that you're in, you can certainly see all the other characters. Um, and I even think there's like ultimates and stuff where you're, um, very much in third person. Am I mistaken with that? Maybe I am. Uh, you're probably right. I don't I'm thinking really of play like, a lot of Overwatch. Yeah. I think, uh, road, not Roadhog, but, um, God, the guy that becomes the like spinning, uh, blowing up wheel kind of yeah. goes into a third person there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So stealth and enforcers and the, uh, of course we're going to sell a bunch of skins for this is, is my point that I've generally tried to make, Okay, but the, the enforcers in a medieval or higher low fantasy setting, I think you're going to get something that ends up feeling like what elder scrolls or, or chivalry or something like that. Yeah. I was thinking there's a, Mord Howe and, and Chivalry, these kinds of like combat-based games using medieval weaponry. Or um, what was the one that Ubisoft did, For Honor? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and I think that's entirely in third person. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that's kind of the uh, a way of thinking about the what the combat might be, or in high fantasy, I think like the only way to really quote stealth, because in Splinter Cell, you have shadows and you have like night vision, you have all this technology at your disposal, I think you would either need to go very high fantasy and be able to like cast spells or you go very low fantasy and practical and give these characters the ability to sort of uh, cloak themselves or hide in closets. And uh, I can imagine like a a map being a castle and you can kind of hide in the... uh, in the sort of wardrobe of uh, of a bedroom or something, but a place that an enforcer can't quite go or they'd have to go out of their way to sort of look at. Yeah, I mean, he brings up the example of, of Garrett from the Thief series. That That's a series that's very, you know, tech heavy. I mean, for the time period anyways. Um, but you're using very practical means um, most of the time to do all the thiefing and stealthing that you need to do. So, you know, shooting out candles or using, you know, manipulating darkness to be able to kind of cover yourself while you sneak around. So one of the kind of clarifying questions, and we can take it either way, depending on what we end up liking, is, uh, you know, he mentions very specifically a lot of uh, examples of famous video game characters. Are those just the archetypes that these would be built off of? Or is this actually kind of like a Smash Bros mashup of all these characters from different games. Oh, that's interesting. In my mind, it has been an original thing, but all the examples here are existing people. So maybe we need to go in that direction. It could be fun as well. I've always wanted like a game that features like the B tier characters from famous games. It'd just be fun to kind of like see the ones get together that like aren't included in anything else, you know? Yeah, so I'm trying to think of like who I would put in some of these 
God, I said, we, you know, we have Gandalf here. We're going Lord of the Rings sort of lore. What other kinds of... <laughs> I don't know. Is Geralt even a B-tier character at this point? I feel like he's now with Netflix <laughs> and stuff. He's skyrocketed. It's in Soul Calibur. He's, uh, yeah, he's a popular one now. Um, what about, uh, oh gosh, I was just thinking of, I mean, yeah, anyone from the Soul Calibur stable could fit in, um... What about uh, Arthur from Ghosts and Goblins as well? Oh, okay. We're going we're going that direction, huh? All right. So, man, oh, how about some people from Golden Axe? I feel like we could maybe yeah, do sure. the Golden Axe crew showing up in here. And uh, <laughs> who else is a wonderful... I'm trying to rack my brain for these, like, fantasy or medieval characters from video game history. People who wouldn't have a chance of ending up in, in Smash. Well... This this is a bit of a cheat, but uh, she has a history of time travel. You can include Carmen Sandiego. That's pretty she always good. Appears to just kind of find herself wherever or whenever she needs to be. <laughs> that actually makes me wish she could play as like Olmec from Legends of the Hidden Temple, as long as her <laughs> and like kids game shows. But he would be very obvious. A, a large floating head would uh, <laughs> would do it. So let's talk about like some of the mechanics here, right? It, what does stealth look like in fantasy? I'm imagining that sort of Harry Potter invisibility cloak, um, being able to put that on you sort of, and, but if you move around or you're not completely still, you're not holding your breath or something, people could potentially see the displacement if they've got a keen eye. Yep. Or kind of like the, um, the thieves from team fortress two, where you can impersonate another, a member of the other team. I also love the moment, speaking of Lord of the Rings, there's a part in that that movie where I think it's Frodo or somebody just has their cloak on in just the right way where it ends up looking exactly like a rock. It's almost <laughs> like that dude who paints himself in the Hunger Games or something. Uh, I, I do like the idea of a character that can, in the vein of the Hunger Games person, paint themselves very quickly, like cast an ability that is paint yourself quickly over time. And what it does is like put the texture of the environment on you. So you can see if you like, just stay still, if the person could see you. We'd have to find a way of balancing the magical and practical characters. You know, that, that could be a difficult thing because you would think magic would just be so superior because like, if it's not, then like, why do these people bother learning magic in the first place? But at the same time, you can't just have a wildly unbalanced system. Right. Hmm. I think you, I, I mean, like the, the thing that I like to play in RPG like games is usually a wizard or, or a sorcerer in some way, because it is the, it's the glass cannon, right? Like you really mm-hmm. can't take the hit. So I think you, first of all, you have to make a, a pretty decent power disparity but maybe in this universe in this game even magic is not totally uh effective right like the biggest thing that the the spies had on their side was the ability to you know sort of shock grenade or or rather flashbang mm. and kind of have these distraction things so magic probably has to be a dev- a device more of defense than it would be you know like i'm gonna stand in the corner and i'm gonna cast magic missile dark soul style until the other person's dead utilizing light and darkness would be an interesting mechanic in a kind of multiplayer game like this and maybe kind of send setting up torches or little kind of magical sprites of light 
could be just as effective as setting up a turret in another game because maybe people are really uh, maybe the the sneaky folks are really really fragile and really easy to take out and so they're really relying upon people not being able to see them you could also have a system where you know there's environmental things that the people who aren't magic wielders can get a hold of to give them an advantage perhaps like taking mm-hmm. a torch off the side of a wall could suddenly make you go from invisible to casting a shadow in the right way so hmm. those people really feel like the the powerful hunters i think that's the thing about the splinter cell multiplayer that was so good is that there was a real uh, lethality or lethality i'm not sure <laughs> if that word is even a real word but mm-hmm. there was uh, a lethalness to the one side and the other side would really fall apart unless it was heavily coordinated whereas like you could survive as a lone attacker um in this scenario hunting down the spies so i think like just putting like conan the barbarian as the hunter in this scenario (laughs) could probably still take out like three um we'll call them harry potters in this in this case right let's call that one there and come up with a name for it I'm going to suggest a line straight from uh, Mr. Herman's email here and say uh, <laughs> that I like the sound of uh, respective objectives. Respective objectives. That, that is a, that's a nice, uh, has a nice ring to it. Is there any way we can kind of give it like a medieval theme subtitle just yeah. to kind of put it within that world? Well, this, <laughs> I'm almost as, uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm seriously suggesting this. Thine respective objectives <laughs> okay that that's that's funny uh, i'll say that uh that counts <laughs> all right thine respective objectives thank you very much ashton herman for sending that one in once again and if you would like to contribute something to a future episode of playwright you can do so by emailing us at playwrightcast at gmail.com you can go to our website playwrightcast.com slash pitch or you can tweet us at PlaywrightCast. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. When you're not listening to Playwright, and I know that you are always listening to Playwright, but when you're not, go check out the other great shows on the Kane and Rinse network, like Kane and Rinse, Sound of Play, and The Sausage Factory. They just did God of War. It's very good. You should go give it a listen. All right. And uh, to take us out of the show today, what is going to be our miniature pitch? So I think you've got me going in this turn-based RPG. And what if we did the champions from Breath of the Wild, Zelda and Link, all team up in a turn-based RPG called The Legend of Zelda RPG? (laughs) Wow. All right. Creative. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Super Mario did it. I can do it. That's true. That's true. Super Mario did it. You can do it. That's what Sonic's been saying for generations now. (laughs) That's right. But hey, he's in a movie now, and apparently it's not terrible. So who's the joke on at this point? Guess we'll see once the Mario movie comes out next year. I know. Crazy. Anyways, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. (laughs) 